0: Welcome, my friends, to this episode of Shoulder to Shoulder. I'm Pam Marvin. And I'm Megan Silas. We thank you so much for walking with us on this journey. We're continuing a four-part series really on chaste living, but we're going to start to really tackle some of the more difficult and uncomfortable topics. And I'm really so glad that uh, my friend Megan, that's one of the reasons why I love our friendship, is because she can tackle them straight on where I'm more, eh, Timid and whatnot, but she's helping me to be more bold, and I'm so very thankful for that because we have a lot of interesting, great, and lively conversations to have together, and I I really appreciate you.
1: Well, I appreciate you, and I'm glad that we're going to be talking about this topic of um, same-sex attraction um, and homosexuality because, obviously, in our day and age, it's become such a big issue. I mean. It just seems like you cannot turn anywhere without it it being presented as a good in, you know, TV and uh, commercials. I I find it so often just like, just put in there now uh, as just standard fare when you're showing, you know, families and couples and stuff. It just almost seems like there's this sense that the advertisers like feel like they have to have it in there. Right. And so there is this whole process of the culture trying to say this is, this is a normal part of um, living and that this is a good and these are and things. And so, but the church just recently came out with a statement that was um, a response to a question. So I don't know if, if people who aren't familiar with this terminology, uh, What can happen at times as it relates to something relating to doctrine or dogma, um, an entity can submit to the church what's called a dubia. A dubia is a doubt. I actually think dubia is plural if you're talking in Latin. It's a dubium if it's only one. But anyway, (laughs) sorry, that was geeky of me. (laughs) I apologize. I appreciate it, though. But anyway, uh, so a dubium was submitted to the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, Asking specifically the question, does the church have the power to give blessing to unions of persons of the same sex? So this is a very interesting question in the sense of it is asking about whether there are limitations on power of the church. So for people who, you know, just want to think that the church is power hungry and wants to say it can do whatever it wants, the answer to this dubium says... Negative. New. No. The church does not have the power to bless same sex unions. And it goes on to say why. And now we're not going to read that whole response, but we are going to talk about what the church's is thinking is in, you know, giving this response because we need to understand as it relates to the question of same-sex attraction and homosexuality, what the church teaches and why. And for those of you who are might thinking that the church teaches it's wrong simply because it's a backward, not with the times institution that hasn't caught up with, you know, the new realities of human experience. Um... Well, if you really, really believe that, then you don't have faith in what the Bible teaches and what has been handed down as the tradition of not just Catholic faith, but the Christian faith in all its forms from time immemorial. Yes. This is the reality that... It has always been understood that in, as it relates to human sexuality, that it is properly ordered when between a man and a woman within marriage for the begetting of children. Sex is itself an act that is ordered towards a result.
0: Okay. Now I have to like parse a little bit. I want to be more specific here because, you know, given what I do, I am a fertility care practitioner and we talk about human sexuality all the time and properly it is talk about sexual intercourse because uh, overall sexuality, the largest sexual organ is your brain mm-hmm. and human tenderness and love is really the heart of human sexuality not sexual intercourse. So I just right. want to make that parsing because, mm-hmm. you know, for clarity's sake there. Right.
1: And I think that that very topic is something that is discussed a lot as it relates to this issue. And for the folks who, you know, believe what the church teaches is true, that sex is only, you know, properly ordered when experienced within a sacramental marriage, just like we spoke about in the last podcast, when we we're giving an introduction to the idea of what chaste living looks like, there is a separation between the act of having sexual intercourse and a desire or an emotional draw towards somebody that doesn't get lived out in the physical. And so you've heard it, I'm sure, said time and time and time again, The Catholic Church does not teach that having a same-sex attraction is a sin in and of itself. It does not. But it does teach that that is not a properly ordered desire. So to then encourage it through engaging it physically, that's when you get into the sin. Or even if you're Going towards, you know, fantasizing about things that are sinful. You know, God says in the form of Jesus Christ, if you have lusted after a woman, you have sinned, right? So he's saying basically to imagine the act in your mind with the full consent of your will is basically akin to engaging in the behavior, right? Wow. So that goes from you know, heterosexual, homosexual, same-sex attracted, you know, opposite-sex attracted, if you're allowing your mind to live out the act, that in itself is sinful. Now, to actually go forward and do it, that is, you know, an even increased sinfulness.
0: Okay, question. You you keep using homosexuality and same-sex attracted, like, separately. Do you make a distinction between those two?
1: Um, I do in the sense that homosexuality as a term really does imply more about action than same sex attraction in my mind you okay. know and and i think it's gotten to the point where is there a hard and fast like term i would say if somebody says i'm a homosexual it mean they're saying i am attracted to other people of the same sex and when they use that term are more likely to be living it out in a way that cuz like you said sex is not the same as desire right and so if you're if you're a homosexual you're actually engaging in a homosexual sex relations relations mm-hmm. that's different than simply stating i am same sex attracted the i am find myself attracted sexually towards people of the same sex but it doesn't imply at all that you're actually engaging in the behavior,
0: right? Okay, so you're—it's like different degrees, so to speak. Right. One is just an acknowledgement that I am attracted to the same sex, and the next one is like perhaps I am acting on those uh, right. attractions. Okay. And you know okay. that's
1: how I view it. And, you that's know, personal not, opinion. Yeah. Then. Not everybody else maybe uses those terms the same way, but it—it it has my been my experience that people who use the term same sex attracted are more often in a place where they're acknowledging their own desires, but also are at least cognizant of the sense that that doesn't mean that I have to actually act out on that. Right. They're living chastely or celibate. And I think that this is a big, big part of the problem that we've come up to in our culture regarding this idea of sexuality. It's just become too too much of a a situation in my mind that people are defining their identity by who they want to sleep with. Mm. You are so much more than that. Anybody is so much more than that. Now our sexuality is always going to be a part of who we are, but it doesn't have to define who you are.
0: Why do you think that is, though, Megan? I just really see that as as certain people, you know, the whole with the pride movement and and making it kind of loud and in front as being the biggest characteristic.
1: I I don't understand that necessarily. I, I really don't. Well, for me, I think what it really does is it really ups the ante. When you tell somebody, you know, to live out, you know, homosexual desires in in the physical realm to actually act out on that is disordered. When you tell somebody that that is not in keeping with God's will, well, if somebody says, comes back at you and says, "How can you say that I am who I am and this defines me, and so now you're telling me that I can't be me?"
0: Yeah, that's true. That you're
1: stealing my identity from me if you say that that's what you know, God desire and what kind of God would create me in a way that means I cannot even be myself so if you up the ante that far if you say that my identity is completely defined by who I want to sleep with to say anything against living that out is to say not only can you not you know what have what you want as far as you know who you want to have sex with you can't even be you and that's that's really not
0: rightly ordered
1: yeah i mean that that's a terrible thing to say to anybody to try to steal somebody's identity guess who tries to steal our identity ooh who is that Megan yeah, the enemy is the one who tries to steal our that's identity right. but you know one of the great ways that he tries to steal it mm. He redefines it. He tells you lies about what your identity is so that he doesn't have to steal it. You give it away. Mm. Let's be clear.
0: Our identity is and are collectively beloved children of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That, my friends, is your
1: identity. Absolutely. An heir to that throne. And that is not dependent on who you feel attracted to sexually and whether or not you live out your life physically involved in sexual activity doesn't change that you're still beloved by God. And so if you are called to live a celibate life for whatever reason, that it makes you no less God's beloved child right. than if you're called to live out your life in a way that engages your sexual life physically in the act of sex. And make no mistake about it. We
0: understand it is a humongous cross to carry. And in some cases, even within the in the the bonds of matrimony, people find it a difficult cross to carry that chastity.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, because it is a very powerful drive and there's reasons for that. It's powerful because it has a very important purpose in human existence, such that God built within us a strong desire to be connected in this way so that we would continue to be fruitful and multiply and that we would have pair bonding that would be ordered towards the begetting and raising of children, you know, and when this breaks down such that we don't have good pair bonding and good, you know, healthy relationships for the raising of children, you see what we're having issues in the rest of our culture where, you know, with divorce rates and, you know, kids being born completely out of wedlock and all that across the board when it's not properly ordered it's a problem for society and a problem for humanity yeah and so, so it's so much bad fruit there so much bad fruit absolutely and the problem is is that when you have this particular issue of same-sex attraction it really becomes so tied up in the question of what is love How is love expressed in a way that's authentic, fulfilling, yet holy? And the thing that breaks my heart about this issue is that so often it's characterized as you are saying that I can't have love in my life. Mm -hmm. If you say to a same-sex attracted person, you cannot enter into sexual relations with a person of the same sex. That's a lie. It's a lie that comes from a culture that so equates sex with love that it basically says you can't have authentic love. That's, you know, outside of like a parent child relationship. You can't have authentic love that doesn't involve sex. Or you can only have superficial love unless it involves sex. That is a lie. Mm. There are so many deep, engaging, beautiful, intimate relationships that can exist that are non-sexual. So many. And the sad reality is, is that because we order things so much towards the sexual, both with same-sex attracted people and with heterosexual people, we often miss out on forming these deep emotional intimate bonds because we rush into sexual engagement as sort of like this
0: shortcut. Yeah. What is that about, Megan? What is that about? It's true. It's so
1: true. It's easier to be physically intimate than emotionally. Why is that? <laughs> You know, I think it's, like I said, it's so much been equated as being one in the same when it's not. It's not, no. That people, you know, they feel the physical draw towards the other person and they're like, well, I want to be close to them. I want to have an emotional intimacy with them and I feel this physical draw towards them. So clearly if I act out on that, then that'll create the intimacy that I desire. But sadly it doesn't and often can actually inhibit the formation of truly deep intimate emotional relationships because now you've used this sexuality as a, as a a shortcut that doesn't actually get you all the way to the destination and can inhibit you from doing the work To actually form a deep, vulnerable, emotional, intimate relationship.
0: Right. You know, it really warrants saying again how the evil one just really sows that confusion saying, well, if you're same-sex attracted, then by all means, you should be acting upon that. And it's okay. That is not true. That is
1: still a lie. Right. And so when the church says that it can't bless same-sex unions, what it's saying is... Even if you say, okay, I'm going to be completely uh, monogamous in my homosexual relationship, I'm going to live out things so that in a committed, you know, relationship where I'm not sleeping around or whatever, the church is still saying, no, it's still not properly ordered, even if you're living it out monogamously. Like, well,
0: how about if we're living it out as brothers or sisters, if we're living that companionship under the same roof as brothers or as sisters behaving wise?
1: Well, you got to ask yourself this question. Are you in a friendship? Or are you in a same sex union? If you are in a relationship where you're sexually attracted to another person, and you're wanting to live with them. There's two issues there. If you're, if you're looking for a blessing of your same-sex union, you're basically declaring, we are same-sex attracted and we are entering into an exclusive relationship with each other that we're now going to cohabitate. So there's two issues there. First, you're putting both of you in the near occasion of sin. It is very difficult to live with someone that you are sexually attracted to and not engage in physical behaviors when that impulse is there and it's mutually desired and you're in close proximity day after day after day and you're seeing each other in states of undress and all these sort of things. Like you are putting yourself so close to the sin of um, fornication that that can't be blessed that you would do that. And then also the issue of scandal. When you're openly, you know, saying that you're attracted to each other, but you're saying, and we're going to live to, we're attracted to each other. We'd like to have sex with each other, but we're going to live chastely. But we want you to bless that and let everybody just trust us that we're not engaging in the behavior that we basically have said we want to engage in, but we're saying we're not going to. That is the sin of scandal. It's just the same as if a couple who is heterosexual is is clear. They're a couple. They're holding hands. They're, you know, acting like a couple. And they say, we're going to live together before we get married, but we're not going to do it yet. Like, that's the sin of scandal because everybody sees that and is like, well, uh, I have a hard time believing that and and everything and...
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I guess, you know, I have a little bit more difficulty with this one, Megan and myself, because I do believe in the strength of um, kind of that fortitude and the grace. If God has you in that place, you know, I wouldn't want my kids living together before marriage. Let me just say that. Um, but when it does come to the the same sex couples, do I believe that with God's grace that they can live as brothers Um, that in our humanity we have enough strength and ability to do that with his grace. I do believe that.
1: Oh, I'm not saying that that can't happen. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is, if you are clearly publicly out there as a couple who is same-sex attracted, and then you're going to move in together together, and ask the church to bless that with the in say, saying that, well, we're going to be chased. Like it just really seems to me both a scandal in the sense of it's going to be very hard for the rest of the world to trust that that's true. Now, do you want to live your life based on what other people think? Probably right. not. Yes. But the reality mm-hmm. is this, I don't think we can dismiss the truth that you have put yourself in a very significant near right. occasion of sin. Right. You can have a really deep, beautiful, intimate relationship and still not live together no, and I be agree. in that place where you're constantly being exposed to each other in a, in a very intimate private setting where you're sharing bathrooms and all those sort of thing. Like if you're truly attracted to each other sexually, that is going to be, really constant state of having to deny yourself. And it just, it's almost like testing God in a way, if you ask me to put Mm. yourself in such a difficult position, it's like, should a person who struggles with alcoholism hang out at bars? Right. Probably not.
0: Yeah. I still, I still in my heart of hearts, I want to assume the best and goodness of couples like that and assume that they're living chastely. Can I say that? Because I really, I pray for that and I want to believe that. And I, and it's, you know, we could go with the, oh, it's not my business what goes on in their bad, bathroom, bedroom, excuse me. But
1: I want to believe they're living chastely. There's no problem with wanting to believe in the goodness of another. That's a beautiful, wonderful thing. But shouldn't we also be concerned about the witness that we give to the world? that our behavior, the way it looks to other people is part of that. Right. And if we're, if we know that doing something is going to cause a whole bunch of people to have thoughts that are not holy, that are, you know, kind of maybe cause them to sin, should we really do that? Right. Like for example, you know, dressing modestly, you know, should, it's basically saying that I, what, should I be able to like, you know, should should I wear really provocative clothes that could cause, you know, someone to be, have thoughts that are, you know, impure, impure. Like, is that charitable of me to go around, like, in a way that will cause challenge to another person that could lead them down a path of mm-hmm. sin? Like, For me, the way I look at it is, do I have to do a certain thing if I'm actually pure in my intentions? Not necessarily have to, but if I love another, if I want to be ordered towards building up the good within the community that I live in and the people that I engage in, I want to present myself in a way that is holy and acceptable to God, you know? And so to choose a path that to the whole world signals something that is not holy, well, even if I'm living it in a holy way, it's still kind of uncharitable. Mm. Does that resonate
0: at all? Just being a, yeah, well, I guess a backup to say my personal choice would To avoid the near occasion of sin, for sure. That's Mm -hmm. what I choose for my family and my, you know, my kids um, who've been discouraged so much from cohabitation. Actually, it's not even just been discouraged. It's been out and out, just like, no, don't do it kind of thing. And so that's what we're seeing in those situations. But do we find them extraordinary situations? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. And
1: I think this is the perfect example of you can see. These are difficult conversations. Difficult. Right. And and it's sometimes they're going to be hard to come to an agreement on in the perfect purist, you know, ideal of right. whatever. What, life what's is messy. Right. It's yeah. It's so messy. But I think one of the things that is really important as we're having this conversation is that if we start the conversation where there's a question of whether or not it's okay to live actively a homosexual life, to engage in homosexual behavior. If we're as Catholic Christians waffling on that point, right. well we're we're already like can't have the discussion in a way that's going to be fruitful among Catholics because right. We're called as Catholics to believe what the ter- church teaches. We're called as Catholics to consider the Bible the inspired word of God. Now, there's a lot of areas of the Bible where, you know, they are subject to interpretation because they aren't 100% laid out as perfectly clear. But this particular topic of engaging in homosexual behavior is not ambiguous. It's not Um, ambiguous in the Bible. It's not ambiguous by the teachings of the church. So to be faithful Catholics, we are called to consent to what the church teaches through scripture and tradition. Okay, Megan, I have kind of a challenge because I
0: think I is coming to my brain a little bit more about why so oftentimes this is very difficult. So It is a type of spiritual warfare, and the way the enemy works is to try and make something that is originally very beautiful into something very unbeautiful. Perfect example here is, I love my homosexual brothers. I love them so much. I desire their goodness. I desire their happiness. I think they are just a gift to us. Why Um, wouldn't you love them? Absolutely. Absolutely. But what happens is that Satan goes in there and says, okay, but love is good, right? And so you're thinking, okay, yeah, love is good, but I want them to be happy. So how can I tell them no when I want them to be happy? See how you see this? The, that's a spiritual war going on. The, the evil one's trying to, to, to talk us into, but this is a good thing. But no, it's a disordered thing that hurts them ultimately. They live shorter lives. It's a more unhealthy lifestyle, and so forth and so on. So, you see what I'm saying? So, there's mm-hmm. that confusion, and people have both of those voices in their heads. I want their goodness. I love them. I desire their happiness, which is a good thing, right? Mm-hmm but not the disorder that leads to destruction. And I'm just saying this is exactly one of those points that the evil one gets in a good person's brain to try and make them think, oh, maybe that's okay. Folks, it's
1: not. It leads to destruction. I think it comes back to that question, that not question, that, that word that we talked about in the first podcast about, you know, as we are introducing this, is trust. hmm do we trust that God knows what is good for us and what, and for our happiness better than we know for ourselves? Yes. The Lord knows us and what we need more than we know for ourselves. And so sometimes he's given everybody the same law. This is one of those times. And when he says for everyone, this is my plan for human sexuality. For us to come and say, oh, no, I know better about what is going to be good for me. That's pride. That is putting yourself before God. It's not trusting that he knows what is good for us and that not only that he knows what's good for us, but even the more important thing, he desires what is good for us Mm -hmm. because in the end the sin in the garden of eden was this same thing it was the enemy saying to eve did he really say that that you would die Do, do you really think that things would be worse if you ate from that tree? i actually think that things would be better for you if you ate from that tree and eve and adam both were like huh, yeah, maybe God is lying to us. Maybe he's just trying to keep something right. from us. Doubt. That's right? original
0: sin right there, my friends. In exactly. my opinion, in my humble opinion.
1: And this topic is no different. If God has clearly stated to all of his children, my plan for sexuality is this. For us to say, no, I don't think so. I think this is what I want. This is what's going to make me happy. That's to say, you're saying... I know better than God what is good for my life. And I can tell you nothing good proceeds from that, whether it's in the realm of human sexuality or any other part of your life. The paths that will take you are the paths of destruction. And they may feel good at some points. It may feel for a time like you're getting joy or you're getting pleasure, but there will be no peace no peace. And so that's, I think at the core of the lie that we need to combat when we're talking about this issue. It's not that we are trying to take something away from people who are same sex attracted. We're trying to give them an offer of an idea that there's even more, there's something more beautiful, more fulfilling, more joyful than even this thing that you think you need, that you think that you can't live without. If you can just trust that God loves you and desires your good, that there is so much more than you can even imagine. Trust him,
0: my friends, trust him. That's the bottom line right there.
1: I mean, it's said a a million times, and I'll say it now, so often everyone wants to look at what the church teaches as just no, 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 but it really is at its core a yes to something greater. Something greater. Oh, that's put so well.
0: Yes, it is. You know,
1: and you as a same-sex attracted person who desire to live in accordance with God's will and may, may, may mean that you have to live a lifetime of celibacy, it may mean that. It it may mean that God's going to bring some healing into your life and then, you know, change your orientation such that you do desire an opposite-sex person and then you could enter into a marriage. That may happen. It may not. But either way, God has good things for you when you live according to his will. Right, right. And he will not deny you love. No. The lie that you will live a life without love if you don't act out on your same-sex attraction, that is straight from the enemy because God wants love for you. He has so much love for you. Yes. And so
0: we just don't want to really just um, single out our same-sex attracted homosexual brothers and sisters when it comes to this very difficult topic of sexual sin that's why Megan and I are going to be continuing on the next podcast to be talking about
1: fornication, right? Mhm. Yep. It's so related. I mean, it really is so related. And I think one of the things I I do want to state before we move off of this topic of homosexuality and same-sex attraction, it ha- you know, this is something that I have talked about with friends many times. You know, you may hear me talking here and think, oh, well, Megan's kind of really hard hearted on this whole homosexual thing and, you know, whatever. That couldn't be farther from the truth. I really, really have a heart for people who struggle with same sex attraction. Amen. And I will even admit to myself, there was a period in my life where, you know, I felt so much love towards, you know, one of my friends and, you know, just I'm a very affectionate person and I love to hug and everything like that. And so, you know, I had asked myself, is there an element of that within me? Mm -hmm. I really examined it. I didn't run away from it. Really examined. Is there a part of me that has same-sex attraction? Now, I, I came down on, well, no, actually my desire to be physically affectionate, you know, with friends and things doesn't find its source in any desire for a sexual intimacy. There is definitely a physical intimacy that I enjoy. I Hello. like to hug my friends. I like to hold their hands. And there is hands. attraction. We and can appreciate yeah, beauty. Absolutely. So are those things. And so, you know, for me, it didn't come down on that side, but I have looked at it in my own life and have not run away from it. And one of the things that I find very discouraging is how often some Christians can be very, very, Judgmental, I'll use yes. that word about the same sex attraction because they think that somehow that is yucky or worse than their own sexual sins or anything like that. I don't believe that. When you, your feelings are your feelings, and you can't help how you feel towards another person a lot of times. You can be. Just as you could be drawn to somebody, you shouldn't be drawn to them in a way that's inappropriate. You can be repulsed by a person in a way you shouldn't be in ways that are inappropriate. You have feelings and they're okay. It's God gave us feelings. It's what we do with them that matters. Mm-hmm. Where we take them. That's what matters. How, yep. How we act on them or not. Right. Right. So I have no sense of repulsion, disgust or whatever for any person who is attracted to a person sexually of the same sex. You're right, Pam. It that can be a really hard cross to bear. As Christians, we should be brothers and sisters who are acting as Simons to each other, helping them helping each other bear the crosses that Christ has given us or allowed in our lives. You know, for his reasons that we won't necessarily understand this side of heaven. But helping another bear a cross doesn't mean lying to them about the truth. Mm-hmm.
0: That is We're not lying helping. Lying to yourself, my brothers and sisters. Don't lie to
1: yourself. Right. You know it deep in your heart. It was written there. Right. So, so we'll wrap up on that. I think just this sense of... We are all in this together. We are. in To really be together as brothers and sisters in Christ means loving each other no matter what. It means supporting each other when we're struggling, supporting each other in ways that are ordered towards truth, ordered towards the true dignity of each human being, and helping us go down that path together. That's right. Let us not give up on one another just as our Lord never gives up on us. Yeah. And don't let the enemy or the culture try to put us into camps to to be like, <laughs> you're on that side. I'm on that side. And we're just going to fight. Yeah, we we can't understand each other. Like, you know, you, you hate me just because you believe that or you hate me because you believe that. This is not about hating people. This is about loving each other in true Christian authenticity. And that's what we're called to. Yeah. Who's the king of division, right? We shall not give the enemy a foothold, Mm -hmm. not in this area that is so important to our design of who we are, our existence. Yeah. So we'll leave it at that. We thank you for joining us for this podcast, for walking with us shoulder to shoulder as we walk down this path of conversation and we hope that you'll join us next time as we continue the conversation on Chaste Living where we'll discuss fornication and cohabitation. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) So until next time we thank you for joining us and God bless. God bless.